0: Welcome to Feminist Erotica, a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women. Join Jera, Karen, and Princess for stimulating interviews that explore feminist representations of desire, as well as short and sweet erotic snippets read by the authors themselves. This episode is sponsored by Just the Tip, Rebellious Magazine's inclusive sex and relationship advice column where you'll find interviews with sexuality researchers and educators, as well as compassionate responses to anonymous questions. Check it out at rebelliousmagazine.com slash just the dash tip.
1: Thank you for joining us, listeners. This is Jarrah Brown, one of the hosts of Feminist Erotica, and I am joined also by Princess McDowell, another co-host that I'm actually getting to know better through this project, uh, but we're both writers for Rebellious Magazine. And our special guest for this interview is Salika Snyder. Salika is a best-selling and award-winning author of contemporary and erotic romance, short stories, novellas, and full-length novels. Her most recent release is a steamy audiobook bundle of her wildly popular, Tick a Chance on Me and Prem Numbers, a short story collection both narrated by Nina Archer. And we're looking forward to Big Bad Wolf, a paranormal romance novel about a mobster killing shifter and the woman that makes him feel human. It'll be released by Sourcebooks Casablanca in January of 2021. Like me, Salika currently lives in Chicago. You can find out more about her work at salikasnyder.com. I'll have a link to her website in our show notes at feministerotica.com. You know, to start with, how's the writing been going amidst the quarantine? Like, are you <laughs> figuring stuff out?
2: It's, it's a, been a challenge, for sure. My second book in the Third Shift series is due, was due originally, I want to say two months ago, okay. and, and the pandemic sort of got in the way of that. It was just sort of like, how are you supposed to hit a deadline when the world's on fire? And it took me a really long time to sort of navigate that, um, including figuring out that I needed a little boost with my mental health and, and talking to my psychiatrist and my therapist and, you know, realizing that it was okay to ask for help and, you know, to tell my editor I needed extensions and, and really to reach out and, and keep in touch with them and myself and now I feel like I'm finally on the right track and actually can hit my deadline, my next deadline and get to writing and things are looking a little more positive but it was definitely a challenge for a while there because I think a lot of artists and creative people are finding it hard to see the light when there's so much darkness.
1: Yeah, for sure. And your blog on your website, you, you go into a lot of detail about your personal life and the industry and things that you struggle with, such as your mental health issues. So I think it's probably useful both for your readers and other writers alike, right, to see really how everything fits together.
2: Yeah, I mean, my blog is sort of, I think blogs in general are are lower in traffic these days, but, but uh, you know, so I say a lot of what's what's there on Twitter and there are definitely people who have followed my journey over the past several years and watched my struggles as a writer and someone who is very conscious of maintaining her mental health. And, you know, people will see when I'm not doing so good and and they'll see me bounce back. And I really do want, you know, my struggles to help other people, for sure, especially I think a lot of other South Asians, because our community has such a stigma about talking about mental health issues that I really want uh, my fellow South Asian writers to know that it's okay to talk about it, it's okay to get help, and it's also not gonna get fixed magically. So it's very important to me to make those topics public.
1: Is there a South Asian writer community on Twitter?
2: There is, I mean, it's it's sort of like, um, I think, there's a community, you know, you will always find your community in any given group, whether you're a knitter or a writer or, you know, whether you play Dragon Age <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I I just saw something on Twitter about Dragon Age, so it's in my head. So, yeah, a lot of us found each other online and through uh, conferences and other book events, and we keep in touch, and, you know, there's a, a pretty good group of South Asian romance writers, and and we're always up in each other's DMs or texting each other and supporting one another. Um, and and I think especially as the calls for diversity and inclusivity have gotten louder and more insistent in the past several years, we've all also been banding it together to fight for more representation in publishing. So, nice. So.
1: Can you tell us just a little bit about your, your history as a, a writer, like how you got started? And I believe you, you started out self-publishing, correct?
2: Actually, no. I, oh, okay. um, <laughs> no, I started out with uh, small presses, um, okay, small it. independent presses. In I, th- I want to say my first short story was published in 2011 or 2012 with a uh, small press and i went on to publish several more novellas with other small presses and then they started closing and they started closing and i was like well i've just started to make a name for myself so in 2014 is when i i started self-publishing because i i wanted that uh that work to still be out there i was like what what was really my uh, i had to learn it all from the ground up you know in order to keep my career going the way I wanted it to go with this upward t- trajectory, so.
3: Mm. Can you sense. talk a little bit about what draws you to the short story and novella format in your writing?
2: Um, I want to say it's sort of like my short, att- well, my short attention span for one, <laughs> but um, I just like capture, it's so funny because I actually, I ta- uh, all my friends will tell you I talk a lot in real life, But when it comes to stories, I like to use just enough words to get the point across. Like, it's really hard for me to just go on and on when I just want to be able to say what I want to say. And I also came from writing fan fiction and short-form fan fiction. When I was uh, younger, you know, starting by hand when I was, like, 11, writing 21 Jump Street fan fiction before computers, that's where right, right, <laughs> right. In the good old days, in the good old days, and then going on to like you know, fanfiction.net and, and live journal, you know, predating even AO3 or archive of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wrote short form fanfiction, so it would be like gap fillers and missing scenes and things that captured snippets of character or moments or um, emotions you know i was never one of those people who wrote like the 100 chapter please leave a comment on every chapter so i'll post the next one you know yeah. k- kind of writers um and so i think that training is still in me to write mm-hmm. short you know to get it to get it done to get these snapshots of people you know and let let you see them and then step away actually now that i've transitioned into writing full length novels that was also part of the challenge of getting a full book contract and writing during the pandemic is that this is the first time I'm writing something that's longer than 40,000 words, holy crap.
3: <laughs> yeah, just probably the, the tra- I think one thing that a lot of creatives are also experiencing right now is because 2020 was marked just by the, the enormity of the year and it being like, this is going to be my year, that a lot of people were planning to shift into new directions creatively so now Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we were all gang-ho to do new things and not being able to fall into the same patterns and routines that proved successful for us in the past and having to forge a new way to do that in the middle of a pandemic and a racial uprising and climate just going bananas all over, I think is, um, you talked a little bit about transparency earlier and I think the entire process of that now We've gotten to a place in as a community and as a culture where we just let it out. Like there's not anything that we would hold back from each other about our pure lived experience as whatever margins that we sit in.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I don't see a point in hiding any of it from anyone, you Mm -hmm. know, because what am I gonna gain by pretending this is easy or I'm not, like, a hot mess right now, (laughs) like, I'm,
3: (laughs) we are all hot messes, yes, shout out to the hot messes,
1: exactly, (laughs) I wonder, too, if it changes what readers are looking for, if they're more open to short pieces, because we just don't have the energy and attention span, for instance, or,
2: yeah, I, I think so, and uh, definitely, and I do think that this is where, romance and erotica do tend to diverge is that erotica readers are much more comfortable with short pieces Mm -hmm. like a lot of like i'm in a lot of anthologies with cleus press edited by rachel kramer Bussell. and those are a lot of my short stories uh that i um and you know erotica audiences love that love that format those anthologies sell like hotcakes whereas romance readers tend to like longer you know more involved stories often trilogies and things um but over the past several years you'll see that they're getting more and more uh open to novellas to shorter fiction to anthologies in to romance anthologies and i think that does speak to the fact that people want quick comfort you know something that they can just read to make themselves feel happy they know it's going to end happily you know, like a quick short burst of dopamine, you know, Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, let's, so let's talk about your, your two most recent collections, Take a Chance on Me and Prim Numbers, can you explain their, uh, the connection between them?
2: Oh, yes, yes, so Take a Chance on Me is a, is like a a novella that I wrote in 2018, and it's set in a small town on the Ohio-Indiana border. So, and it, and it just ended up being very, it's, it's about a girl who works at her family's Indian restaurant and there's like a hot biker who always comes in with his crew and kind of flirts with her. And, and it's just a bad idea all around, but, <laughs> but he's, he's really cute. And they end up hooking up in the Walmart parking lot, as you do. Yay. <laughs> <Right. Nice. laughs> yes. After, after running into each other at the garden center. I love it. Um, yeah, and, and then thing you know, and then, and then let's just say things are not as they seem, you know, but it's, it's a bit of a rom-com, and I just enjoyed writing it, and it was something I wrote when I thought it was, my career was over, and I just wanted to write something silly and sexy, mm-hmm. and it ended up being one of the most popular things I've ever written, which is,
1: that's awesome.
2: It's Exactly hilarious. the way that it happens every time. You're right? like, screw yeah.
1: this,
3: I'm done with this, <laughs> one last shebang and exactly. they write
2: it and they're like, and give us more. Exactly.. We and then, you know, and uh, every couple of years, I tend to put out a short story bundle of things that I've previously published, and then I try to write some new material, and I give them punny Indian-American names. So I've got like ish factors, ish means love" instead of risk factors, dill or no dill," instead of deal or no deal. The word "dill" means "heart" in Hindi. And then, so I had a third collection coming down the pike, Prem Numbers. Prem also means love instead of prime numbers. Aww. And and I put a couple of previously published stories in there, including another one of my really popular ones about a uh, Black female vice president who falls in love with her uh, Muslim American secret service agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and spoiler alert, she's elected to, you know, she gets a second term as vice president and then runs for president. When Everything I wrote about it,
3: this, I love Right? It.
2: <laughs> when I wrote that, I had fingers crossed for 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 Kamala Harris, and then I was like, "Whoa, it actually happened!" And no, she does not have a hot American Secret the Service agent. Stop that gossip right now.
3: No, that's AOC. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. Let's just you know. So, but anyway, I was getting off track. So, and then um, I wrote another story for that collection that takes place in that same. Indiana, Ohio, um, small town with young South Asian woman living in a small town. And it's basically my retelling of Roadhouse, where uh, she hooks up with the two hot bisexual men who own the local roadhouse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's how Tika Chance, and Me or Prem Numbers co- are connected by the two okay. stories set in that universe. And then I bun- oh. uh, we bu- Tantor Audio bundled them together as an audio bundle. So Okay, that makes sense. I wandered all over the place with that explanation. So the three stories mentioned in that ramble of mine, take a Chance on Me, the biker novella. In her service is the black female vice vice president, uh, Leticia Hughes, and uh, her her romance with her uh, secret service agent. And then She's So Lovely is the name of the short story uh, that's a retelling of Roadhouse. I didn't make it to take a chance on
1: me. I read quite a bit of the stories in From Numbers and and I've read uh one of your novels so far in your Bollywood collection. And well what struck me especially with the short story, like I some of the short stories I know have been in erotic anthologies. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm I'm curious if you see if you make that distinction in your head when you're writing something that you're writing it as A romance piece or as erotica, or if you just write what comes and then, you know, figure it out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I write what comes and then figure it out. I mean, to me, even when I'm writing something that would end up in an erotica anthology, it has to have some sort of happy ending. Mm -hmm. Like, there has to be a romance element. I know that um, a, a lot of people will ask, especially in the romance community, how do you define romance? erotic romance and erotica right you know and a romance doesn't even really necessarily well none of them necessarily have to have sex in them but uh you know a romance is about the romantic journey and and the emotional arc an erotic romance is where you know sex is a huge part of the romantic journey like you can't get rid of the sex and still have the journey and you know with erotica it's really more about the sexual journey and it doesn't have to have a romantic component you know it can be a solo exploration of self through sex and and that's how we try to explain it when people ask about the three differences between those three designations for me i always have to have the heart involved like i need my happily ever afters just for myself <laughs> like even if they're just banging it out they, <laughs> they have to be happy at the end.
3: Uh, Someone's definitely making breakfast afterwards. Or <laughs> right. Like clean break with the Uber.
2: Right. Whatever
3: that happy ending. Looks whatever
2: like. the happy ending is. I mean, it doesn't have to be, it's not like marriage and babies. It's more like, you know, maybe you finally asked for his number. You know, maybe it's an I love you. Maybe it's I I don't know. It doesn't have to be, you know, anything finite. But it's, it's like, it just has to be emotionally satisfying for the reader and the characters. And that's just for me as a writer, like I want, I want happy endings everywhere. I, I don't like it like in movies when, you know, there's a tease of a romance and then like they go off their separate ways. Like, uh, what's right. that movie? ooh, replacement killers. Uh, and, any, and that other movie with uh, Jet Li and Bridget Fonda, I'm still bitter about the fact that there was this teased romance and then the characters go off their separate ways. I'm like, no! You made, you made me sit through all of that sexual tension and nothing happened. Kiss of the Dragon. Kiss of the Dragon, thank you, yes. Yes.
1: That <laughs> well, reminds me about one of your pieces in one of the best women's erotica mm-hmm. uh, as series. Not the most recent, but the mm-hmm. one before that about the, the bar hookup. And I love the ending that it was, you know, it happened because somebody needed a friend. And there was this understanding that it was okay to wait until somebody else needs a friend. Yeah. Yeah. That hopefulness is just as worthy of a, a happy ending, I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you walk away from that story, you know, not necessarily expecting them to, like, date or anything in the future but just know that they that you know that it's possible to be a comfort to someone in a rough time and to have a moment of kinship you know that might not be considered a happy ending to some but i thought it was hopeful yeah
1: (laughs) what you're talking about like the, the the sexual journey what does erotica allow you to do with your characters that something that's more of a straight romance doesn't
2: You know, I don't know. I mean, because to me, you should be able to do it in a romance and an erotica. For me, I'm like, that's because that's more about craft than it is about genre or subgenre. to me. Like if there is a message that you want to put forth in your story, you should be able to do that as a writer, no matter, you know, whether it's set in space or whether it's erotic or whether there's no sex in it at all. It's so a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we talked
3: a little bit earlier about how this season we're really trying to figure out what makes or, or what has to be included to make a particular erotica story be feminist. Uh, we've been asking readers um, with a poll, and I just kind of want to talk through uh, with you a little bit about what you think has to check those boxes in order to rightfully call them feminist stories so one of the things we included was you know a story that has or showcases enthusiastic consent and autonomy between characters if a writer is writing about their lived in, lived experience in terms of identity does that inclusion of kind of backstory and background make the story feminist just from the who the author is creating it And then a couple of other we included was like authentic character development. So the sex is not the end result, more about that journey arc that we were talking about. And then if there is an element to the story that challenges a societal status quo, whether it's in a differing pairing of power dynamics or something that's a little bit outside of mainstream Society of what we deem to be acceptable or whatever. So, what do you think about that conversation? What are the types of things that kind of have to check that box for you when you're reading or creating work?
2: For me, I think there has to be—you know—the characters have to have an agency, especially the—you know—the female—the—you the, know—the—the female presenting characters. You know, there has to be, uh, and and the other marginalized identities as well. There has to be an element of agency and autonomy, you know, the freedom to make choices. You know, they're not, and they may not be uh, the choices you necessarily consider feminist. That's why a lot of people will say romance novels aren't feminist because it ends with a woman getting married and popping out babies. And I'm like, yes, but is the woman here choosing that for her life? That's her valid life decision. Her happy ending is... To get married to some dude named Chad and have like four babies. That's not my happy ending, but she chose it. Does she have the agency and autonomy in making that choice? She's not being forced into it. Um, then, you know, that can be seen as feminist, whether it mm-hmm. is feminist or not, you know, I don't know. We that, that depends on the individual book and the circumstances. So to me, it's all about choice. Uh, th- there has to be an element of you know, freedom of choice, of willingness, of, and that goes along with enthusiastic consent mm-hmm. for me. Like, are the characters consenting to this? Uh, and if they are not consenting, is it part of negotiated kink play, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, and that, of course, then that the people have agency because they have negotiated that this is this is kink. So the characters have to, yeah, So so to me, consent and agency go hand in hand. And, and that's definitely a huge part of the conversation of what makes something feminist, in my opinion.
1: On your website, you, you call yourself a diversity advocate. I think it's, advocate was the term, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Where does uh, advocating for diversity fit into this conversation about feminist literature for you?
2: I mean, it's, you can't untangle it. Because to me, I mean, my identity as a woman of color and an author of color, you know, a woman of South South Asian extraction is all tied up in my feminism. Like, so, so advocating for one for me means advocating for the other and advocating for both. You know, if you're not fighting for representation for black characters, Black authors, you know, Asian characters, Asian authors. If you're not fighting for trans women, then your feminism is bullshit, as the faint you know, as the as the as the saying goes. You know, those are the things we ask for, and we demand, and we push back uh, in in the romance community, and hopefully in the erotica community. I'm not as involved in the erotica community, so I don't know what what is being done in terms of authentic and representation and more uplifting of marginalized voices but in romance we have been trying to push for a massive sea change for years and we're picking up the fight that authors like Beverly Jenkins and Sandra Kitt and Brenda Jackson and Monica Jackson were fighting decades ago uh, to get their books on shelves to to be heard to prove (laughs) It's, I hate to have to even say this, they had to prove to people that black love was just as valid as white love, which is ridiculous, because of course it is. Like, God, that's frustrating. Like, oh my God. But they did it. They kicked the doors open for us. Yeah. And everyone who's coming in after them, you know, they they kicked the door open and they held it open for us. Yeah. So every author of color in Romancelandia, in the romance writing community, who is out here now, um, you know, with the trade paperbacks, the colorful trade paperbacks you see in the bookstores, uh, with the award-winning books, you know, uh, the you know the women, the authors who get to go on Good Morning America and all that, they owe a huge. We owe a huge debt to. To the 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 women who came before and were fighting the fight, and and we owe it to them to keep to keep warring to keep making sure that door is open, and uh, so when I call myself a diversity advocate, it's more of a an optimistic and hopeful like, I, I hope I deserve to call myself that, because I I, yeah. I just want to. I want to keep holding that door open and keep fighting the same fight, and uh, making sure that those who come after me have it easier and are able to tell all the filthy or sweet story. You know, they can be filthy. They can be sweet. All the stories about women of color that they want to tell.
1: So. Are- I was reading, I was looking back at your older blog posts, and one of them was uh, Born to Be White: How Biracial Historical mm-hmm. Heroes Reinforce the Status Quo. Uh-huh. And I guess just thinking about it, it's not just about like having representation, but it's about having honest, authentic representation or um, representation that also moves forward our I- ideas of culture, too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically (laughs) a a lot of people will say, well, okay, well, my hero is a biracial Duke, um, you know, or I wrote a book about uh, a hot Asian guy, like that's diverse. And the thing is that, no, are you reinforcing stereotypes? Are you reinforcing harmful ideas about how we're not acceptable unless we're falling into line with, you know, your fetishes? or we're not acceptable unless we're also white, you know, or not also white because we'll still be brown. But but just the ways in which people try to reinforce uh, white supremacy. And and you can do that while still writing, you know, characters of color. And so it's kind of our job to call those representations out too and to hold people's feet to the fire. Um, I read so many romance novels, historicals especially, where they would always bring up the Kama Sutra in regard to India, like, mm-hmm. and it just, it drove me bananas. Yeah, Cause it was like, it's not like they were handing this out on every street corner to every white person who got off the boat. You know, I that agree. was not the sum total of India, not to mention the fact that the British were colonizing India at the time. Yeah. so So they ignore the colonization. You know, they ignore the fact that, that they're you know they, they made Indians into coolies into servants, um, and they just talk about how the Indians taught them how to how to bang, and, and and that is so harmful. Like it's so toxic, and and then you you know you'll see it everywhere. You, see, you know, it's the same thing with people fetishizing Asian East Asian submissiveness or hypersexuality in the black community, you know, you'll, you'll see people, it's just, fetishizing us, it's not equal representation because fetishizing us takes away our power and our voice.
1: Really quickly, one thing that comes to mind, I get asked to write about tantra and I won't do it because it's appropriation. My own mind is that I, I practice or I'm interested in Neo Tantra, which I think is uh, hopefully an okay way of just saying like, this is not the thing that came out of India that is a religious tradition that I do not practice, but I am interested in massaging your clit. So <laughs> let's just separate those two things. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, India in particular just feels like a hotspot of appropriation and fetishization when like, we start to think about it. But I so having read just like one of the novels of your novels that has to do with a a biracial Indian American character, Rocky, who's a kick ass character. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm wondering if when you're writing her or, or similar characters, if you have this in mind somehow about like how basically how to do it better.
2: I mean Again, like you never want to say, do it better. You just do it authentically. You know. Again, at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff goes back to a craft issue. Are you cra- are you writing a good character? Are they whole? Are they fully realized? Do they have emotions? If you start from that root, then you know you're automatically going to be in a better space than. Trying to m- make them fit into some sort of box as like the good biracial, you know, character. Right. Like to me, uh, you know, the, uh, Rocky reminded me a lot of I, you know, because I grew up with a lot of uncle uh, aunties, you know, the white aunties who were married to some of the Indian uncles, and they had, you know, they had they had biracial kids together. You know, and they didn't strike me as being particularly, you know, these. Because you know, uh, a lot of these books like to put forth this narrative of being torn between two cultures and all this so I'm like no these these kids seem perfectly well adjusted and beautiful and happy, and they love both of their parents and <laughs> like there's no like and and that's kind of where I wanted to be with Rocky as a person who is trying to get more in touch with her her heritage, but is also not necessarily torn you know, between, you know, being Indian or being American. And, and again, like, it's just about writing a character who feels human and authentic and real. And uh, the book we're talking about right now is Bollywood and the Beast, uh, for those um, who uh, uh, wanted to know what turn we took. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Apologies. I did not mention the title of that book. And it's book number three in, what's the name of the series? It's the Bollywood Confidential Series. It's basically one of, like, my first series and the the first free novella in it is is a kitchen sink hot flaming mess I think I even wrote like an author's note in it that is basically basically if you read between the lines I am so sorry that this is a flaming pile of you know but um but I just threw everything in there because I was experimenting um and and I slowly got stronger as a writer and and figured everything out. But Bollywood and the Beast is definitely the strongest of those first three early novellas and a favorite of mine as well. It's a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. In a surprising yeah. way, it's
1: not I I think I was I was super surprised when reading it. I the characters were introduced and I was like I know where this is going and then it did not go that way, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is always what you want out of a book. So. Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm very like I'm a soap opera fan. I love Bollywood movies. I love romance novels so you can always count on me to like put those three genres in a blender and come up with absolutely ridiculous combinations and i like to i like to keep people guessing for sure
3: can you talk a little bit about you know what what you have new going on i know that there's uh, a book getting ready to drop uh we want to talk about the good stuff right Mm -hmm. now if there is something that's giving you joy because i feel like joy is a thing that we're really having to cultivate personally to lean into to make it through day-to-day.
2: Yes. Yeah. Joy. I mean, again, at the end of the day, being a romance reader and a romance writer is about joy. It's about experiencing it. It's about creating it. It's about, um, you know, putting down stories about joy triumphing over adversity and evil and um and so i've been really lucky to have a community the romance community friends you know we're still there for each other through all of this with our writing with our squeeing over what book we read lately and with all the support i'm seeing for my upcoming series the the series third shift it is very it is dark it's a dark series it's set kind of an alternate post 2016 election where supernatural creatures sort of um uh, came out of the darkness as, sort like, a controlled leak from the NSA or something, because they knew the president was going to tell everyone, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, revealing the secret to Area 51, you know, this dope is going to tell everyone. So suffice it to say, in the years since then, everyone knows that supernatural creatures exist, and their battle for personhood and rights is right alongside that of, you know, people of of migrants and people of color. Things have gotten a lot worse. There are are camps along the borders now for supernaturals too and like drone surveillance everywhere. But in the midst of that, there's still love, at least in, in, and, and that's kind of like my own way of working through the real life darkness is that I have to believe that there's still love. And the first book is sort of based on a Marvel's The Punisher. He's a vigilante. A military veteran and a, and a vigilante and in the book he uh the character has killed a few russian mobsters after his foster brother was murdered in a in a shootout and he kind of snapped and and he killed a couple of uh mobsters as you accidentally do sometimes you know oops yeah as you um, want to do as you want to do and he ends up in 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 uh in jail in brooklyn uh awaiting a second trial because the first one didn't go very well and he ends up falling for a member of his legal team, she's not technically his lawyer. She's just consulting on the case, and they end up going on the run uh, when the when the mob tries to put a hit on him. And they end up uh, on the run together and falling in love, and of course beating the bad guys. It's not a spoiler to say there there's a there's a satisfying hopeful ending for them. Uh, and he still it is, but because it's me, I make sure that I acknowledge you know. That he's got a lot of work to do. He did kill people. They were bad people. He killed people. <laughs> right. We don't necessarily approve of that. And I, I work through a lot of issues. Like my heroine is a woman of color. All my heroines uh, are women of color. And and she has to reconcile for herself. This killer is a white man who just who might get away with killing people, when people you know men of color are dying, are getting shot by police. how do I justify sympathizing with this man who probably won't die? Uh, And it's, it's, I don't know. So there's a lot of that kind of serious, seriousness in it too. You know, talking about white supremacy and the law and that kind of stuff. But then there's also just a lot of indiscriminate boning. Just to balance it out. I'm in. (laughs) So. Yeah, I like to, as I said earlier, I like to, to put all my genres in a blender, and, and this is what you get. (laughs) You get the Punisher, and some banging, and some political commentary, and social commentary, (laughs) and werewolves. Is
1: this the first time you've, uh, you've delved into paranormal, or?
2: Yeah, I mean, at least on a bigger scale. I, I think I have some short stories that, that, like, uh, deal with paranormal themes um, or or mytho- mythological themes or fairy tales um, but this is my first like full on uh, yes, there are vampires, yes, there are werewolves, and you know uh, a lot of Indian um, mythology as well um, it, it's my first like full immersion in it, uh, which is daunting. I hope the paranormal romance community welcomes me. <laughs> I, I get the sense
1: that, like, they're always ready for f- fresh blood.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what have you been reading right now? Oh, my gosh. So many things. I have an uh, advanced reader copy of my friend Tiffany Rice's uh, The Pearl I had that I'm excited to get my hands on. It's the third in her uh, trilogy with The Red and the Rose, which is her sort of mythological erotica. Uh, uh, God, I love everything Tiffany does. Um, and, and she's just a wonderful person and a wonderful writer. So I'm super excited to get to that. Uh, I'm also reading the second in KJ. Charles's historical mystery series um, that began with Slippered Creatures. This is called "The Sugared Game. And it's like bright Young Things in England in like the 20s. And uh, the main couple is uh, the, it's male male, so it's 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 a gay romance, and it's um, it's just glorious. Falling into a KJ Charles book is like it's like falling face first through a time portal and like waking, just being somewhere else. I love it. And her worlds are diverse. Like she, her her London, her England is. I'd like to think that that's how it was. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm, I'm usually like reading three or four things at the same time. Uh, I'm, and I think I've also got uh, *The Damned* by René Adier, which is um, supernatural, paranormal, uh, set in New Orleans in the late 1880s. I want to say, and again involves vampires and werewolves and, and. Uh, so I'm kind of trying to get in the, in, the, in the creepy, in the creepy mood, in the creepy fantasy mood. I think that's it, princess. No, I think that's great. great. Awesome. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you both for having me on. You know, I know I, I kind of wandered all over the place and, and had to be reined in. I just.
3: <laughs> no, you were wonderful. Um, let yeah. people know where they can get in touch with you and uh, learn more about your work.
2: So I basically live on Twitter. You can all follow me on Twitter. at It's at Suleika Snyder. And I spend a lot of time there when I should be like writing. That is probably the best place to get a sense of who I am and a sense of what I write. I do have a stationary kind of static website at SuleikaSnyder.com that does have my blog uh, with a lot of the posts that Jared mentioned earlier. So you can kind of look back at uh, my more long form ramblings. Uh, there and and I do have a Facebook as well but I'm not as active and you can also check out the pictures of everything I'm cooking (laughs) on Instagram where I'm also Suleika Snyder I know I'm supposed to do book promo there but really it's just a pictures of everything I'm cooking
3: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much Suleika for joining us for this conversation it has been a delight we ramble all the time so you know you're (laughs) right in with the good company
2: (laughs) Thank you both so much.
0: Feminist Erotica is a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women, hosted by Jara Brown, Princess McDowell, and Karen Hawkins. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feministerotica at rebelliousmagazine.com Follow us on Instagram at Feminist Erotica Podcast, on Facebook at Feminist Erotica, and on Twitter at Feminist Erotic. And make sure you subscribe to us wherever you devour podcasts.